So I'm glad to see you. Let's pray, and then we're going to start. We're at verses 14 and 15 of chapter 45, underneath the heading, The Shock of a Lifetime. And so let's, uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, you are so extraordinarily good to us, and we thank you for every blessing of life. We are so thankful for Jesus, our precious Savior and Lord. Thank you for his death on the cross, his glorious resurrection, sure and certain knowledge that Jesus is coming again. Thank you for forgiving our sins. Thank you for giving us that gift of eternal life. And we, we love being your children. And we thank you for the sweet fellowship that we've had today around the tables. And thank you for the delicious food. Use it to strengthen us. And as we leave this place in a few minutes, I pray that uh, our lives will be a reflection of the Christ who lives in us. We love you and adore you, and we thank you now for this opportunity to study your word. Speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you go back to the beginning of chapter 45, and Joseph is standing in front of his brothers, they do not yet know who he is, and Joseph is overcome with emotion. He has everybody except his brothers leave the room. Uh, He is weeping, and then come the words that his brothers never, ever, 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 ever expected to hear, Yosef Ani. I am Joseph. You know, I've I've said a few times I would love to see an instant replay of that. Um, can you imagine? What do you think? I think for a few moments there, there was absolute silence. Now, that's my guess. Maybe you think, well, the brothers started crying immediately. I don't know. I think it was so stunning that there were a few moments of absolute silence when what he had just said was sinking into their hearts and their minds. And then, of course, uh, he followed that up, Joseph followed that up with the, with, the, with the question, is my father still living? Even though the brothers had just been talking about Jacob, Joseph is so longing to see his father that he wants to be absolutely certain and he asks that question, is my father still alive? Now today, we'll be in the text where they see each other face to face. So I'm Joseph, the shock of a lifetime. We've already, I can't, we don't have time to cover the first 13 verses again, but let's pick up at verse 14. And I've called those two verses reconciled. So here's what it says. Then he threw his arms around his brother Benjamin and wept. And Benjamin embraced him, weeping. And he kissed all his brothers and wept over them. And afterwards, his brothers talked with him. Now that, that one sentence, I don't know what span of time that covers. Because you know they had a lot to talk about. 
And so whatever time it, it entails, his brothers talked with him. Maybe a matter of days, hours, I, I don't know. But there's an enormous emotion here. And, and did you notice, at least as is recorded in Scripture, there is not any sense of anger or fury or animosity on the part of Joseph toward his brothers. Joseph already knows what he will later express to his brothers. You meant it for harm, you meant it for evil, God meant it for good. Joseph already in his mind and heart knows God put all of this together. And so he treats his brothers with love. And we haven't seen anything yet. I mean, what he's going to do to his brothers is absolutely phenomenal. If you want to make a tad of personal application here, what would you have done had you been Joseph? Knowing yourself, your own nature, and what would you have done? I've wondered about myself, would I have... Would I have said, yes, I see God is in control. God has orchestrated this. God has done this. You meant it for evil. God intended it for good. Or would I have said, I've got you guys right where I want you. <laughs> well, it says something about our heart and our nature when we, when we reflect on that. So there is this, um, this reconciliation that, that we see taking place before our eyes. All the brothers, the guilt is gone. And we've already talked preceding this chapter about how the brothers have Judah. Remember Judah is now the, not the firstborn, but he certainly assumed leadership and how he expresses, he comes clean before Joseph. God has punished us because of what we did to our brother, not knowing that he was talking to the brother. And so we see joy and love envelop Joseph and his brothers, and particularly the tender relationship between Joseph and Benjamin. Of course, Benjamin being also the the son of Rachel, just as Joseph was. And so there is an there's a really close relationship between those two, and and over the next years of Joseph's life and the brothers' lives as they come there to Egypt, um, you can imagine the joyful occasions that they were able to spend together, and particularly the, the, the relationship between Joseph and Benjamin. So, okay, now what, what happens next? I want us to look at verse 16, and we'll read through 24, and then we'll talk about that for a few minutes. So verse 16, when the news reached Pharaoh's palace that Joseph's brothers had come, Pharaoh and all his officials were pleased. Uh, Pharaoh loves and honors and respects Joseph. Everything you see in their relationship is one of honor. The fact that Pharaoh is going to react to the brothers and to Jacob in the way that we'll see unfold in these verses is amazing, but it all goes back to his love for Joseph, Joseph explaining the dreams, 
than Joseph in his position of authority as the most powerful person in the country, except for Pharaoh himself. And so Pharaoh really loves and respects Joseph, and you just see it every every step of the way. And, of course, behind all this, the unseen hand of God is moving. So Joseph's, uh, Pharaoh and his officials were pleased. Verse 17, Pharaoh said to Joseph, Tell your brothers, do this. Load your animals and return to the land of Canaan and bring your father and your families back to me. I will give you the best of the land of Egypt. He's talking to Hebrews and he's going to give them the best of the land of Egypt and you can enjoy the fat of the land. You are also directed to tell them, do this. Take some carts from Egypt for your children and your wives and get your father and come. Never mind about your belongings because the best of all Egypt will be yours. Can you imagine? Don't, don't load up the furniture. Just leave it. I'll give you the best in Egypt in your new homes. I mean, can you imagine moving and and just leaving all the stuff behind and going to a house that's furnished exactly the way you want it with the very finest of everything. So, so come on, and I'll provide all of this for you. So the sons of Israel did this. Joseph gave them carts, as Pharaoh had commanded, and he also gave them provisions for their journey. To each of them he gave new clothing. I want you to think about that for a moment. Just let that sink in, and we'll come back to it. New clothing. But to Benjamin, he gave 300 shekels of silver and five sets of clothes. There is still a favorite, and it's Benjamin. But unlike previously where the brothers resented Joseph, that that we observed this last week, there's no resentment anymore. The brothers give every appearance of genuinely loving Benjamin, even though they know he is Jacob's favorite. And he's certainly favored by Joseph. And this is what he sent to his father. Ten donkeys loaded with the best things of Egypt. Ten female donkeys loaded with grain and bread and other provisions for his journey. Then he sent his brothers away. Now watch this. And as they were leaving, he said to them, don't quarrel on the way. They are still his brothers, and he still knows them, and he says, when you get out of my sight, do not be arguing with each other. You ever send your kids off together and say, now don't y'all be fussing? Why would you say that? Yeah, you know them. Okay, so let's pause for a moment. Here we see royal generosity. Pharaoh exceeds even Joseph in his generosity to to the brothers. The respect and appreciation that Pharaoh has for Joseph spills over and overflows in his new relationship with the brothers of Joseph and soon in his relationship with, with Jacob. Now, all through this, Pharaoh is watching Joseph and how he manages the affairs 
of the empire and how Egypt is prospering in the midst of the famine, how they're meeting the needs of their people because of the planning of Joseph and how Pharaoh himself is becoming stronger and stronger and stronger because of the actions of Joseph and Pharaoh really does like that. And we're going to see in just a moment how powerful Pharaoh really becomes because of Joseph. God's wisdom is in Joseph. Every decision that he's making results in prosperity for Pharaoh and for Egypt. God's hand is on Joseph. And it is so obvious. And God not only works on Joseph, but what did we discover? Perhaps to the surprise of some, but what did we discover last week? On whom else had God been working? Who? The brothers. Their hearts have changed. They are not the same men they were when they sold Joseph to the slave traders. They are different men because God, through guilt and through memory, has been speaking to the brothers, changing their hearts and changing their lives. By the way, did we not say last time, guilt is a gift from God, not intended to be carried around forever, in fact, intended that we get rid of it by forgiveness and repentance. But guilt itself is a gift of God because it is God's way of saying, you have sinned and you need to receive forgiveness from me. You need to repent and receive forgiveness. So remember that God had been working in the lives of the brothers. Now, the clothing... What bells does that set off in your mind in relationship to the entire story of Joseph? The clothing, it's intended as a symbol of reconciliation. What do you remember about clothing in the story of Joseph and his brothers? The coat of many colors. That was kind of like the straw that broke the proverbial camels back as far as the brothers were concerned. They were resentful. But when Joseph got that coat from his dad, that beautiful multicolored long sleeve royal cloak from his father, and then he continued to lord it over his brothers and then tell them about the dreams that he had had, they couldn't stand it. And then what did they do with the cloak after Joseph was gone into slavery. What did they do with it? They put blood on it, tore it, took it back to Jacob and said, Wow, Pops, an animal must have gotten your son. And Jacob had lived with that for all of these, all of these years. Now, this is a symbol of reconciliation as Joseph gives these clothes to the boys and particularly to Benjamin. More for him. No resentment. Final word, don't quarrel on the way. Now, uh, there is more we could say about those verses, but I do want to finish Genesis someday. So let's, let's go on. Let's look at verse 25 to 28. 
Um, and here is, here's another, here's another moment at which I would like to have been present or be able to see. This is the moment that Jacob finds out his son Joseph is still alive. So, verse 25. So they went up out of Egypt and came to their father Jacob in the land of Canaan. And they told him, Joseph is still alive. In fact, he is ruler of all Egypt. I don't know how long it took for that second sentence to sink in to Jacob's mind because what he had never expected to hear but heard, Joseph is still alive, that was more important than anything else that the brothers could have said. And so it may have been a little while. They may have even had to repeat themselves. Did did you hear us say who he is? Jacob never expected to see his son. He's stunned. It's a Jacob was stunned, and he did not believe them. Now, there are more reasons than one as to why Jacob might have felt, I, I don't believe you. One is the fact that this is, this. I mean, he thought all these years, 17 years, he has thought Joseph is dead. A wild animal got him. There's another reason why he was a little skeptical. What's that? His, his sons are, are proverbial liars, and he knows that. You know, there are some people who, if they said to you, here's the facts, you know that person so well, you say, I believe it. You, you say the sun rises in the west because of who you are. I believe the sun rises in the west. Well, I'm kidding about that. But, but there are people who say, Here's the, here's something that's happened. I mean, honestly, isn't it like, mm, are you sure? I'm not so sure I believe that. Well, there's, that's Jacob. He knows his sons. Sadly, he knows their hearts. So he looks at them and he, he just couldn't believe it. But when they had told him everything Joseph had said to them, and when he saw the carts Joseph had sent to carry him back, the spirit of their father Jacob revived. Now, do you know what the implication is there in Hebrew? Jacob all Jacob almost died here in the news. I mean, it was almost like a heart attack, cardiac arrest, and he revived. So Israel said, Jacob, Israel, now interchange, the word Israel will be used more and more as we move toward the end of the book. Israel said, I'm convinced... My son Joseph is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. What a happy, joyous moment for Jacob. He came to realize that the journey will enable him to see his son and to die in peace. To die in peace. Now, I threw this question out last week and just left it hanging and told you we'd address it this week. Did Jacob know what had happened and when did he know it? Did Jacob know what his sons had done to Joseph and when did he know it? the, The scripture doesn't tell us 
which is further proof that the Holy Spirit commands Scripture because we would have written it like a cheap novel, but the Holy Spirit puts in there what we need to know and is not essential that we know when Jacob found out and so forth. However, I think at this point Jacob still did not know. Because of his reaction, I do not think he knew yet what had happened and why Joseph, the story, why he's down there and all that. But sometime between now and Jacob's death, I believe he finds out. Maybe they had a family get-together and the brothers said, we got to come clean with Dad. I, I, I don't know. Scripture doesn't tell us. But the reason I believe Jacob knew, if you want to go to chapter 49, verse 22 for a moment, Jacob is giving his blessings on his sons. That's, that's the entirety of chapter 49. We'll be there soon. You come to verse, uh, you come to verse 22 and it's Joseph's turn. And here's what Jacob says. Joseph is a fruitful vine, a fruitful vine near a spring whose branches climb over a wall. Picturesque language. Watch. 23. With bitterness, archers attacked him. They shot at him with hostility. But his bow remained steady. His strong arm stayed limber. We'll get to the rest when we get there. Joseph is using beautiful, picturesque language in pronouncing a blessing upon his boys. But I believe that, to me, clearly reveals sometime between the passage we read a few moments ago and this passage, Jacob found out, because I think that's what he's addressing about the the, the archers firing at him. Does that make sense? So, you know, I can remember even as a child wondering, when did Jacob find out? Did Jacob ever find out? And I, I never really thought of this what what's written in, in the blessing, but I, I believe he did find out. But here's the main thing: God gave Jacob grace to forgive. God gave Jacob grace to forgive. Look at the forgiveness that's tied up just in this chapter. The evidence of the forgiveness of Joseph for his brothers. You know, there's something else tied up there. Um, What the brothers did is totally without excuse, absolutely without excuse. Most of us, however, could probably say, I understand their resentment toward Joseph as the favored child. That's gone. In fact, it's been gone a long time because now Benjamin's the favored child and there's no resentment. In fact, they seem to just be so absolutely fond of Joseph, Benjamin, they just seemed to adore him so much so that, that, you know, Judah was willing to exchange, in a Christ-like move, Judah was willing to give his life so that Benjamin could go home and, and live, or that's what Judah assumed. So there's a tremendous forgiveness all throughout this portion of the book of, of Genesis. Uh, on this side of the cross, It is so important for us to remember the importance of forgiveness and reconciliation. God forgiving us. 
our being reconciled to him through Jesus Christ. Now, if you let yourself think about life, and I know you do, if you contemplate all that, and you think about yourself, does it ever just utterly amaze you that God would forgive you and want to be reconciled with you? It, it's amazing. Um, and I'm so, I'm so thankful because not for one inkling of a second do I think that I, I deserve any of what God has done for me. Not one bit of it. And I hope I don't ever act like I deserve whatever God's blessing me with at the moment. We None of us do. It is absolutely all of his grace and his mercy. And Joseph is a type of Christ. We've already observed that. He is like Christ in, in, in his actions. And I hope I haven't talked so long that I've run out of time. No, we're, we're okay. We've got a little, just a little bit more. So I want to move on to chapter 46 and at least get started in it. In this chapter, Jacob and Joseph will reunite after 17 years of separation. Now, hear this. It will be over 400 years before they will leave Egypt as a nation. As a nation, before they will leave Egypt. One brief journey back to Canaan to bury Jacob in the cave at Machpelah when he, when he dies. Other than that, 400 years before the nation will be back in, in the promised land. God's plan is magnificent to behold, even with our ability to already remember and see the pain of slavery that the people will endure. But we will watch incredulously as God moves in a mighty way to accomplish his plan and his will and his purpose. So let's look at the first four verses, and that's probably it for today. So, verse 46, chapter 46, verse 1. So Israel, Jacob, Israel set out with all that was his, and when he reached Beersheba, he offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. So Jacob's on his way now to Egypt. And God spoke to Israel in a vision at night and said, Jacob, Jacob, here I am, he replied. I am God, the God of your father, he said. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for I will make you into a great nation there. I will go down to Egypt with you, and I will surely bring you back again. And Joseph's own hand will close your eyes. The news of Joseph may have almost killed Jacob, but he revives. He's ready to go see him. The journey begins. He had been in Hebron near the tomb of Machpelah where he was to be buried, where Abraham and Isaac were buried. He journeys to Beersheba, which is about 25 miles uh, west of Hebron. It's where the desert really begins and extends on into Egypt. And at Beersheba, he worships a town rich in history. Abraham named it, planted a tree there, and called on the Lord. 
And there in Beersheba, Abraham showed his faith by being willing to sacrifice his son Isaac. Remember that? He built an altar there after the Lord appeared to him. Jacob knew it well. He's familiar with Beersheba. It was his home previously. So Jacob goes to God. He's apparently a bit anxious about this journey, maybe a little fearful. He worships God. He's grateful to know that Joseph is alive. And God appears in a dream and tells Jacob, don't be afraid. And he gives him four reasons why he shouldn't be afraid. You want them today? Here they are. Four reasons, he tells Jacob, to not be afraid. Number one, I will make you into a great nation. Same promise he made to Abraham. This is not a new promise. This is a repeating of a previously made promise. I will make you into a great nation. What's the change in the sentence? Do you catch it? What? Good, Katie. The word there. Where's there? Egypt. I will make you into a great nation, we could say, while you are there. And then I'm going to bring you all out. And there'll be a whole lot more to the all at that point than there is right now. I will make you into a great nation. So uh, this is amazing and encouraging. It's a reminder to Jacob. Great things will come out of this move to Egypt. Number two, I myself will go with you to Egypt. Jacob needed to hear that. I myself will go with you. Chapter 28, verse 15. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Jacob's dream at Bethel, when God spoke to him there, and here he's speaking to him again. Number three. I will bring you up again. The use of I in the Hebrew makes it, the way the Hebrew's worded makes it emphatic. It's kind of like we say, I will too go over there. You know, somebody listen, I will too go over there. Well, God's saying, I will too bring you up out of Egypt. It's emphatic. Fourth, Joseph's hand will close your eyes. You know what that means. Joseph's hand will close your eyes. Joseph will be at your side when you die. What encouragement for Jacob. Now that's where we're going to stop. We will pick up right there next week. And uh, we are already in April. What in the world? I, I don't know. You know, the, the, the saying time goes faster the older you get. And my mother said that. Now I'm saying it. Well, it seems that way, doesn't it? Okay, next week right there, let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for grace, mercy, forgiveness, reconciliation, beginning again, starting anew. Thank you that you're with us right now, and you will be with us wherever we go. I pray that we'll be faithful in our words, in our actions, that we might glorify you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. God bless you. See you next time.